I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite team. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, updating the NHL scoreboard. Five minutes into the third, Minnesota leads Montreal 2-1. Start of the third period, Boston up 2-1 on Dallas. Also early in the third period, Coyotes up 4-zip on the Blue Jackets. Dylan Gunther, the former Oil King. Gets his second of the season. Comes on the power play. Zach Cassian also scored in that game. That's his first with Arizona. Four minutes into the third, Devils lead the Wings 4-1. After the first, Colorado leading the Rangers 1-zip. Late first period, Chicago up 1-0 on Florida. Penguins and Flames just getting underway. Three games still to come, including uh, Phil Kessel and the Golden Knights. Going up against San Jose, he's going to set a record 990 consecutive games. That's what's going on in the NHL. Oilers flew today to St. Louis. 4.30 face-off show on 6.30, Ched tomorrow. The game will start at 6. Connor McDavid, uh, he'll be ready to go. Dylan Holloway close to returning as well for uh, the Oilers as they play their first road game of the season. Three-game trip, St. Louis tomorrow, Chicago Thursday, and then a battle of Alberta in Calgary on Saturday. One week remains in the CFL regular season. It will not involve the Edmonton Elks. They have the bye, and of course the playoffs will not involve the Edmonton Elks either as they were eliminated a couple of weeks ago, played their final regular season game on Friday. Another loss, another loss at home, 31-14 to the BC Lions. Garbage bag day on Saturday. Chris Jones was talking to our Dave Campbell. You know, it was an empty feeling, um, you know, seeing the guys and, and we're not out there preparing and up in the offices watching film, getting ready for the playoffs. It's uh, it's an empty feeling. You put an awful lot, uh, players, coaches, staff, they uh, everybody in the, in the building essentially, um, you know, you put a whole lot into it. You, you give up a lot of yourself in order to put yourself in position to uh, play for a championship. And when you, you don't allow that to happen, there's a, a very distinct empty feeling. Well, that empty feeling for the Elks as they uh, miss the playoffs for the second consecutive season. A lot of players uh, not involved in both those years, but uh, that is their situation as we welcome Blake Dermott onto the show. Uh, Blake, good to talk to you again. How are you doing, first of all? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I, I kind of understand what uh, Chris Jones was saying. You know, it's uh, it's the whole reason why you play is to get into playoffs and and uh, and and play for you know for a ring or a championship and and extra money, and then when it's all over and and being over middle of October. I mean, geez, that's that's uh, being done so early. Uh, the snow hasn't even fallen. That's uh, it's just really it would be a really weird feeling. Um, now you never missed the postseason in your pro football career, but you heard Chris Jones talking about it being an empty feeling. Is it an empty feeling regardless of when it ends? I mean, and I, and I know you don't like me bringing up bad memories, but I mean, you guys went sixteen and two. 
and didn't win the Grey Cup. I, I don't think you were celebrating going 16-2 and two when you got eliminated. It, <laughs> like, it feels empty at the end regardless, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is that, um, that, you know, if you get into playoffs and you get down to, and, and I had the opportunity in college as well. I mean, we played in two national championship games. So well, there was one year that we were the last team uh, playing football, last two teams playing football in all of Canada because it happened after the Grey Cup. So, so I got to, you know, I understand uh, uh, what that's like. If you, you never want to lose your last game, you know, it's a, because, uh, uh, I mean, generally speaking, if you win your last game, chances are that you, you've uh, you've got a realistic chance of being, you know, winning the whole thing. So, you you always want to try to do that. But yeah, the the reality is, uh, in, in in 14 years, I only won it twice. Uh, and and there are an awful lot of guys who played a long time who never even got a sniff, never won it once. So, so you you enter into pro sports knowing that uh, you've got a really high uh, level of uh, percentage of failure. Um, that's what's going to happen to you. And, and uh, um, as I got long, uh, later in my career, um, and, you know, you got family and kids and everything else, and you'd get to the end, and, yeah, you'd be – it would end, and it was like, okay, okay, I just have to do something right away to get my mind off of it. And uh, usually within about 24 hours, 48 hours after playing the last game, I'm probably playing pickup hockey someplace just to, get, just to change <laughs> – get back in the men's league just so that I could get over it in a hurry. So you're not sitting there thinking about the end of the season all the time, eh? That's interesting. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, Blake, we talked a lot this season, and I can tell you for me, a lot of people, of course, talk to me about the Elks because, A, I host a sports talk show, and, B, being a sports fan myself, in my, in my personal life, a lot of friends and family members are sports fans, and I, and I heard it all. Like, I have one buddy who said probably in the middle of August even, he said, I do not care what their record is this season. I know they're not going to win the Grey Cup. Find the players you need. Let Jones get everything in place, and let's do better next year. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, I mean, I've had, you know, Chris Jones is an idiot, fire him, you know, burn it all down again. So I, I've gotten both ends of the spectrum. My personal expectations were I predicted six wins. That's pretty modest. They didn't get to six. Um, you were optimistic several weeks ago that by the end of the season, they would be a much improved team. Personally, I'm not sure. Well, let me put it this way. I think that they improved, but I think other teams improved by just as much or more. <laughs> That's my take. I'm wondering how you're feeling now at the end of it. Well, first of all, I think big mistake. And I, I mean, I understand it, but, uh, uh, and I've heard, I've heard the same talk too. Big mistake to uh, blow it all up and start all over again. Uh, be a, a huge mistake. I, I, I don't think, and I said this when they, when they hired Chris Jones, that this was the guy, the only guy that could, could fix this thing and, and he'll fix it. Uh, he'll fix it relatively quickly. And when I say, you know, relatively quickly, we're talking about a team. And, and I, we all said, we all thought this at the beginning of the year. There's no way that they're even going to be fighting for uh, – they may have been fighting for a crossover chance. That was what we, that was what we were projecting, you know, uh, uh, quietly talking about that uh, in and amongst ourselves. I mean, nobody was thinking great cup with this team. They just weren't. They were too far away from being what they needed to be. And uh, – and I and I, I did say that I thought that they they had improved or, or that they needed to improve. And by the end of the year, I thought they would have improved to uh, a point where teams would want to play them. 
Um, one of the things that I, I didn't count on was that the uh, the injury uh, parade would continue like it had for the whole year. I mean, they just got when you when you think about over a hundred players, a hundred and five players, I think it was, or a hundred three going into that last game. Uh, different players had suited up for the club. When I think the next closest was in the in the low 80s. So I mean, you you just it was very difficult for this team to to be able to get to that point where they could get the continuity. But I mean, they they did take teams, and I think their record should have been more than four wins. I, I and we talked about this before about how uh, that game against Toronto. Well, they should have won that game. They led the whole game to 27 seconds. They should have won at least one of those games against Calgary. They they had Winnipeg on the ropes where Winnipeg scores uh, uh, wins the game, and they have uh, like 160 yards of offense. Uh, it's ridiculous. Like those were games that they could have won. They should have won, and uh, 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 games that. Uh, a team with a little bit more experience and and, uh, and togetherness will win next year. Um, so your your prediction of six wins, I mean, just right there uh, was was uh, probably close. Uh, there are seven wins that I, I think easily they could have had, and, uh, and I believe that there's one more against Montreal that they had a chance to win as well. So so this was not a uh, uh, this was a better team than their record said. But at the end of the day, your record is who you are, and uh, they were a four win team. Um, so I don't know what else to say. I think Chris Jones has got a he's he's got his work cut out for him, but I think he's got some good pieces. I mean, you look at the, the how they how they their running game has uh it looked like it's it's uh, really improved. Um they've got a couple of receivers who they just signed, uh, you know, just extended a contract with Dylan Mitchell. Um and they've also got uh They've got some life in their special teams, which is something they hadn't had for a while. So, so from that standpoint, and and you know, if they can get through a season without nine different uh, middle linebackers, maybe they got a chance to be better at defense. Uh, yeah, that was uh, a good summary for sure. Was it, it, it quarterback is such an important position? Can you even evaluate Trey Ford based on, like he obviously missed several throws? But can he really be evaluated after not being the starter most of the year and kind of going in on a couple of days practice? Can we look at anything out of that game? No, I, I think I think it's a, it's a clean slate, and he's got all off season to to uh, study study the playbook, study teams, study uh, things that he needs to look at his timing, his his reads, all of those things. Um, that last game was a nothing game. It was an, a game where, as you mentioned, you know, a minimal amount of time to prepare for it, um, and uh, and having you know been off the roster for or sort of off the yeah off the, the game day roster for for a long period of time with any game time any uh, playing time, um, I, I think that uh, that thing's just uh, we, we just got to look at it as a non-event on this last game. All right. You, you mentioned Dylan Mitchell. That's an important signing. Uh, he was pretty exciting. There, there's still there's there's one player I want to mention because I know I I do not have a vote in any of the CFL awards. Um, am I loopy to say that Jake Ceresna was the the uh, Elks best player this season? Oh, I would. Um, I, I you wouldn't have an argument for me over that. I, I thought you know he, he missed a few games, but. Uh, my God, he was a good player. You know, he reminded me a lot as dominant in the middle as uh, Armando Sewell was when Sewell was here. Like Jake Ceresna took huge steps this year. And, and then uh, we talked about this 10 sacks from an interior. He didn't have a sack in his last three games. But, uh, but when you're number three or number four in the league in sacks and you're an interior D lineman, not a uh, defensive end, you are tearing it up. 
and the amount of plays, tackles, hits, hurries, all of the things that they keep statistic-wise for defensive linemen, he was, uh, I, I think, absolutely dominant at his position this year. And uh, and he just showed up every day. It didn't matter whether they had a chance to win or didn't uh, didn't have a chance to win. He came out and played. And uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the uh, – and, and if he isn't or wasn't a leader on the, this defense, certainly will be next year going into it. Blake Dermott joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Blake, I, I want to throw one more at you from a slightly different angle. I, I know I, I enjoy getting your perspective on different things. Uh, we played that Chris Jones clip, and also in his season-ending scrum there on Garbage Bag Day, somebody asked him about getting you know some downtime or some relaxation, and he said, "Well, to me, getting downtime is is winning and coaching in the playoffs. You know, like he's <laughs> he's uh, he's a very football-centric man, obviously, as as coaches have to be. When you played, did you appreciate or have any understanding of the hours your coaches put in?" You know, um, I, I think I, I think you do as a player, but but I don't think you really appreciate it until you leave the game and coach yourself. And uh, like I did not understand. Like I, it was funny. I always say this, you know, when I when I got out of football and I and I, I started coaching my son at nine years old. I thought I knew an awful lot about the game until I started to coach and realized I didn't know a whole lot about the game. I knew what my responsibility was, but what everybody else I had I didn't have a clue. And then the amount of time, even at, in Pee Wee and Bantam, and the the parents that and the volunteers that that start out doing that, and the hours that they take to prepare for practices and you know watch film and everything else. As volunteers, it's unbelievable. Then you go into the professional level and just multiply that by by at least dub, you know doubling it. The the amount of time that those guys spend eight to ten hours a day pre- preparing for a two hour practice, it's unbelievable. And as a player, you get to, you get yourself to the gym, you do your thing, you watch your you watch your film with the coaches, and then you 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 got to have downtime. You got to have downtime to rest your body. Those guys go right back to watching film. And and the amount of respect that I have for coaches and people that coach. And at the professional level, at the minor level, is is uh, is huge. I have a lot of respect for those guys. All right, Blake. Well, I, I got to say this. Well, I want to ask you one more question. Did you do you do they actually use garbage bags on garbage bag day, or might a guy come in with a suitcase or a duffel bag? Big green <laughs> garbage bags. That's it. You can't actually use something like I'm going to bring a duffel bag today. There's got to no, be a garbage. No, bag. Nobody does. Nobody. Nobody has a. <laughs> got to remember these guys. Some of these guys have been living out of a suitcase, so that thing's already packed. <laughs> and the garbage bags are free, and they're so they give it to them. So they and they're the big jumbo sized ones because there's an awful lot of. An awful lot of gear that accumulates over the course of a year in your locker, and uh, you need that to, to make sure you get it all out of there. What's the strangest thing you ever found in your locker at the end of the season? Do you remember? Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I had a pretty good. Uh, no, I, I don't think there's anything that's strange. I had a pretty good uh, grasp on what was in my locker. <laughs> Not a lot. I, <laughs> I remember. I mean, it was a funny story. Some of the guys, some of the players, you know, the, the marquee players like uh, Henry Williams uh, would get these uh, these shoe drops every uh, every month or so from Adidas or Nike or whoever was supplying them shoes. And he literally would have 20 pairs of shoes in his locker. And then my locker was right beside him, and I would have three pairs. I would have my screw and cleats, my uh, turf shoes, and then and maybe a molded cleat, and that was it. And and uh, Henry had to have, like, little shelves put in because he had so many cleats, and you'd have to take them home 
all these brand new shoes and runners. And uh, so I didn't have a lot of stuff in mind. Just uh, it was very simple, very Spartan. <laughs> well, the the old linemen don't get the free stuff, right? They are they're they're always they're left out. That's sad. All right. <laughs> well, Blake. Uh, the uh, one of the things that upsets me about the Elks season ending is that I don't get to have you on the show as much, but there are still some playoff games ahead and uh, NFL season ahead, the rest of the NFL season. So I hope we can find time to talk about those storylines, man. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, Reed, I'll be watching the games. So if you if you ever need somebody to, to hug the airways for a little bit, uh, just give me a call. <laughs> we'll do that for sure. Thanks, Blake. Okay. Talk to you later. That is Blake Dermott, of course, longtime member of the Double E organization and now an analyst for the Elks games here on 630 Chet. Always appreciate what he has to say. Uh, tough, tough year. As, uh, as again, I, I'm not overly surprised. Um, I, I, I thought maybe they might be good enough to squeeze out a couple more wins. I, I didn't see this as a, uh, as a playoff season. But this has been, uh, this has been tough for, well, like, as I've talked about this before, this is the... This is the the worst stretch for the double E in 60 years. You have to go back to the uh, to the early 1960s to find when the club was this bad. You know, other than just missing the the playoffs for one. I mean, they went four and 14 in 2013, but then they came strong out of that. And this actually extends back to before the pandemic, because don't forget, in the final nine games of 2019, they went two and seven. So uh, that has their record at 9-32 and 32 in their last 41 games. That's tough. 780-496-0063. It's Inside Sports on Chet. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. Got something to tell you here about the Edmonton Oil Kings. First of all, their next home game Thursday at 7 against the Vancouver Giants. Get the full schedule ticket info on oilkings.ca. Now a trade today by the Oil Kings. Here's uh, what's happening. The the WHL rights of defenseman Luke Prokop go to Seattle in exchange for three conditional WHL prospect draft picks. So here's here's how it works. If Prokop is sent back to the WHL by the Nashville Predators, the Oil Kings would get Seattle's 2025 first rounder, a 2023 third rounder and a 2025 third rounder, which Seattle previously had acquired from Regina. So if ProCap goes back to the WHL, he won't go to the Oil Kings. He'll go to Seattle and the Oil Kings will get those three draft picks. So that's the deal. Uh, If Dylan Gunther is returned to the Oil Kings by the Arizona Coyotes, I would assume that there would be a trade like this as well as the Oil Kings are clearly rebuilding. So Luke Prokop, if he comes back to the WHL, it won't be to Edmonton, it'll be to Seattle, and the Oil Kings get uh, three 
draft picks, couple in 2025 and one in 2023. So that is the uh, news there concerning 20-year-old Luke Prokop. He was named the 2021-2022 CHL Humanitarian of the Year. All right, as for the Oilers, they have flown to St. Louis for the game tomorrow. uh, Connor McDavid crashing into the post early in the second period yesterday. Missed a little over three minutes of game time. Jay Woodcroft was asked about McDavid this morning. He looked pretty good to me this morning. Uh, He looked pretty good to me when he came back into the game last night. Um, I don't think the general public, when they talk about um, Connor, uh, have a true understanding how tough of a hockey player he is and the the abuse that he endures because he's willing to go to hard areas uh, just night in, night out. Um, you know, last night he went into the post or whatever, but he was driving the net hard uh, in search of offense. And um, for me, I don't think he gets enough credit for that and, and what he plays through just on a daily basis. It's, uh, it's a one, one tough hockey player. And um, you can see that when your captain plays uh, through things like that. Uh, I think it resonates uh, throughout the rest of the dressing room. And you expect he'll be available next game? I expect that, yes. All right, so there it is. Jay Woodcroft talking about Connor McDavid as the Oilers take on the Blues tomorrow. McDavid held without a point two consecutive games. Nobody got a point against St. Louis. Oilers got six goals yesterday. McDavid didn't score, but the Oilers got the victory, which is good. Need other guys chipping in. All right, Luke Gazdick's going to tell you a little bit about uh, his thoughts on the Oilers, on Ryan McLeod, who's one of the themes of today's show, and uh, a little bit about packing for a road trip, which he used to do when he played for the Oilers and in the National Hockey League. Coming back after the news and weather, it's Inside Sports on 630 Channel.